All right, go ahead and make your way back. That would be awesome. Before you get too comfortable sitting, you know, if you've been with us the last few months, we got to stand. We're standing together. Welcome. This summer we have been uh, really looking at, biblically, the definition, what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer that Jesus uh, gave his disciples, gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, one of his disciples asked him, literally, hey, can you teach us to pray? And he says, yeah, and this is how you pray. So this is a model prayer. We've spent the last almost three months looking at it, understanding the heart behind it. So we sort of have this tradition now. We were going to recite it together, and then uh, we'll be off and looking at uh, temptation, continuing looking at the last part of it. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. So we've been looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, depending on your church tradition. I shared with you before growing up in the Roman Catholic tradition. I learned this as a very, very young child and recited it in various capacities. Still know it, still can go to Catholic Mass and pretty much with my eyes closed do the whole thing. It's in there. It's in there. But we asked the question this summer, the title of the whole series is, Are You Praying or Just Saying? Are you praying or just saying? Because again, I'm guessing most of us, many of us, prayed probably in some format today. You woke up, however you do that, you prayed, you would define it as praying. But this morning, and we've been asking the question the last couple of months, were you praying or just saying? Was it just words? Was it just religious thing you do? Was it just rote? And then you, you checked it off, and you said it, and you're good to go. Or were you praying? Right, And we saw, uh, biblically, the word pray means really to have FaceTime. Right? And so the word picture for us this summer is, is like having FaceTime, like on your phone, your iPad, whatever, how it changes a dynamic. Radically different even than texting someone. To have FaceTime, suddenly, boom, there's another human being, in this case on the other side of a tablet or your phone, but it, there's a personal dynamic to it that changes it. Well, that's prayer. Prayer is personal. Prayer is FaceTime with Abba, right? And Jesus gives this model prayer, wasn't necessarily supposed to be recited word for word, and we saw that way back a couple months ago, ago because even in Luke, he says it differently, right? And no, no follower of Jesus in the Bible ever recites it word for word, so it's a model. And in this model, we've understood that beyond the words, there's a heart issue, that we're having face time with Abba, because his first words is, Pray then like this, our Father, and right off the bat, that word Father is Abba, which changes everything radically for the Old Covenant religious leaders, right? And we looked at this, we've been looking at this, if you, if you knew, just kind of quick review, Father Abba, which means Papa, Daddy, Father King, right? Your will be done as it is on earth. He's still king. He's still ruling and reigning. Father provider, give us this day our daily bread. Everything I have, everything you have, we wake up every day and say, Lord, I need you for everything. Amen? Right? Spiritually, everything. Financially, everything. Father communicator, 
He actually, through His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to talk to us. And yet, for many of us, our prayer time is genuinely, or generally, how many of us for our prayer time is generally talking at God? Like, Lord, here's my laundry list for the day, and could you do this, could you do this, and by the way, so-and-so needs your help, da 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 in Jesus' name, amen. Anyone? Right? Kind of like, can you just sign the bottom and I'll fill in the top? Right? That's kind of how we approach prayer. I'm, I'm saying, but I'm not, a lot, I'm not doing a lot of listening. So for some this summer, it's been really challenging. I said, even before you open your mouth, just sit there. How many of you have a hard time sitting there? How many of you, you're sitting there, but your mind's not sitting there? Right? Even like right now. Right? Lunch. Coffee. Donuts. Beach. Cheese. Can I get an amen? Right? Those who are visiting, cheese is like the hit over here now. So like... Cheese, like it's a race. It's literally a race to get there before the cheese is gone, right? But just this idea that we're going to sit and we're going to have FaceTime. We're gonna, I'm, I'm, I, might, I might say something, I might, but most of it's supposed to be him talking to me and me listening, right? Father, forgive her. Forgive us our debts. What was the heart behind that? Father, Abba, I don't want there to be anything between us. I don't want to just brush things under the rug. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to confess. I'm going to say, if you call it sin in my life, I'm calling it sin. I'm not going to try to excuse it. I'm not going to say, I oopsied. I'm just going to call it what you call it. If it's sin, it's sin. The Bible says if we confess it, which means to say, if God calls it sin, for me to confess means I call it sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if you do that, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive. Forgive. So right then and there, you say, Father, I confess, and whatever it is, you confess it. And then by faith in his word, you say, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Amen? Amen. We call that washing. You stand clean throughout the day. You don't have to load them up. Right? Load them up till the end of the day, and before you get to the, before you, you know, you go, you, before you pray at night, oh, what did I do today? And you like go through, and you try to save them all and clean the slate before you go to sleep. No, 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 you don't do that. What he's saying here is, is the radical truth. And some of you like put a smile on your face. If you sin and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you confess it right then and there, when should you be joyful about forgiveness? Right then and there. Amen? No loading it up. No, by the end of the day, you start good. And by the end of the day, you're like this. And you're like, dude, what happened to you spiritually? Dude, I got so much junk in my bag today. I blew it at work. And then I popped off to my spouse, and then I cheated, and then I lied. And there's all this stuff that you, by the end of the day, you're just carrying. It's like unload as you go. Amen? Amen. Keep it clean. That's the heart of this. And then this last one where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is Father Protector. It's like, Father, this morning I'm waking up. It's September 15th. I need you to guard my heart. I need you to guard my mind. I'm going out into a world where there's a lot of testing and temptation. I need you to protect me. Right? We've seen verses in the in the Bible that says pride comes before a fall. Take heed lest you you take heed he who thinks he stands lest he fall, right? Gotta be real careful. So this is the heart of this is Father, I need you to protect me. I need you to guard my heart, my mind, right? Martin Luther said it this way. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, 
and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Right? And we saw last week that, that we generally try to think of the word temptation. We kind of slot it in as like, you know, maybe an addiction or it has to do with, with lust or pornography or some kind of sexual thing. Like this real big, you know, oh, I was seduced. I was induced. No, really, biblically, the word temptation is testing. It's to be tested. Right? And, and it's really strange how testings can come to us in various shapes. It's usually, not, maybe it's not for you, it's some big thing, right? I shared with you a survey uh, last week that they did in Britain, 2,000 adults, and they, they were talking about how technology impacts our frustration levels and our patience levels, right? And they said, according to the survey, people get frustrated after 16 seconds waiting for a web page to load. Anyone? That blue thing? <laughs> Honey, is the internet down? 16 seconds, you're already starting to redline, right? 25 seconds waiting for a traffic light to change. You're checking the light over there for when it turns yellow. Anyone? Right? Just things can happen, even sort of these innocent life things, and you're suddenly, you're, 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 uh, uh, right? You can, and even in like church things, right? We go bowling yesterday, and I'm just a little bit competitive, just a little bit competitive. And we're going to have a good time. It's fellowship. It's brotherhood. It's one another, one anothering, right? Yeah. And we get there. Oh, my goodness. Ah. You know, you have these grand plans. You have these grand plans, Tim, right? Everyone's there really like it's just for fun, but you know how it works, especially with guys. It's never just for fun. Never. It's a pecking order. There's always a pecking order when it comes to guys. Can I get an amen? Right? That's why 15 out of... 80 showed up because the other guys did I ain't going. I don't want to look dumb, right? I don't want to embarrass myself. So 15 of us show up. It's tough. Cody and I like to blame the lane conditions on our poor performance. I'm going with that. I'm sticking with that, Cody. While others were doing quite well. But for us, it was the lane conditions. Our lane, out of 40 lanes, our lane was horrible. And his. I'm, I'm, our two together. They must have skipped. Because that's the only reason the other guys beat us. Had to be the lane conditions. Right? But even in that, church, fellowship, come out and have a good time. I'm swimming for an hour and a half. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm the pastor of these guys. Please don't let me lose it right now. And when you bowl, it's really interesting, right? Because there's a moment when you're facing away from everybody. So when the ball is released and you know it's not going to hit the mark, you have about two seconds to gather yourself before you turn (laughs) and must face everyone who's now laughing at you. And it got so bad, Dave. Then I pick up my ball. This is like the second game, midway through. I pick up my ball, and I'm about to attempt once again. 
And here comes Dave with the little rolly thing. Oh, this is good. This is good. Dave, who's been watching the entire time, brings the little rolly thing. You know what Buena Lane's a little rolly thing? So he brings it. He brings the ramp. The ramp. And I'm like, I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to have a good time. It's brotherhood. It's fellowship. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, you jokesters, you. Oh, you kidders. So I lined this up. And I'm like, in my mind, I, got, I might get my first strike, actually. I lined this bad boy up. Push it. Gutter ball with the ramp. You know, God has his ways. And I had about that two-second window before I turned around. And I think at that point the guys were scared. They were like, the pastor pray for him bad attitude right now we get tested amen it's literally it starts off good some of you might have been tested this morning coming to church well you've seen it i've done this for years anyone ever get tested on your drive here with your family Mm, right why you raise your hand honey right you get tested and, and it's just it just happens. You just have to be on guard. And, and that's why we're spending this much time on testing and temptation. Because we all deal with it. it it's common to man. First Corinthians 10.13, it's common to man. And yet, when we understand it biblically, that it's really testing. That it's an opportunity for us to grow in our faith, to honor God, right? John MacArthur defines it like this. The basic meaning of temptation is simply to test or prove. And has no negative connotation whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to evil depends on our response. If we resist it in God's power, it is a test that proves our faithfulness. If we do not resist it, it becomes a solicitation to sin. So we might, God, God will allow testing in your and I's life. If I honor God, if I walk by faith, if I trust him and make choices that honor him, it proves the genuineness of my faith. I grow, I'm strengthened. In the exact same scenario... The enemy can come and tempt you and I to ultimately, we saw this, what is the root of temptation? To act independent of God. To act independently of God. Right? And we saw that when we looked at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He had been baptized. He went to the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted. The devil shows up and says, hey, if you're the son of God, can you just turn these stones into bread? Right? What was the temptation? Hey, just do it. Why are you, why are you going hungry? You know you could fix this. You're, you're, you're Jesus. Just do, pull out one of those miracles. Just change the stones and the bread. Come on. This. The temptation was, I got to handle this. And if you think about your life, what you're going through right now, what area or areas in your life are you being tempted, tested in faith to wait on God? to do it according to his will, in his power, in his timing, versus, Lord, I I prayed for this for five years. Lord, where are you? What's going on? Why aren't you fixing this? And once we get into that mindset and that heart set, the temptation is to act independent. I got to do this. 
I got to do this. Anyone here ever decide to help God in his timing? Speed it up just a bit. Just a bit, right? That's temptation. The core of it is to act independently of God. So whether it's your finances, whether it's a relationship, you want a relationship in your life and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and suddenly you're just like, that's it. I guess God's not bringing Mr. Right. I got to go find him. You see, you just act independent. You were, you were tempted to act independent of God. That's kind of the heart issue of temptation. That's why we need to be protected. That's why we need to be guarded, right? And, and as we move forward, here's really important part of this. Eileen, can you put up Matthew 6, 9 through 13? This model prayer, right? This is very important to, to actually understand the last 12 weeks and as we move forward. Where it says this, remember, I, and I've, I've shared this before, when it says, pray then like this, our Father, right? This is a, a new covenant prayer for who? The church. For new covenant people, Right? The Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus, you have the right to become a child of God. Right? Our Father. So as we have been walking through this, and as we today look at how to deal with temptation, how to respond to temptation biblically, you have to understand, it is from a New Covenant believer perspective. Okay? This is, you've you got to understand that. You've got to understand that, and I know probably most of you get that, but you have to be real clear on this. Because if you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, and you are, are coming here and you're, like, you're looking for techniques, or, or what we call band-aid theology, i got this issue in my life, and can you just give me some verses, Pastor, to fix it? See, a lot of people kind of come to church, or they read books, or they go to conferences, and we call it band-aid theology. Hey, I need a verse for. Can you give me a verse? That's a band-aid. New covenant relationship is a heart issue. Amen? So this is what we're talking about. This, this is the hardest prayer. Even the heart of dealing with temptation, just understand real, real clearly, this is from a new covenant. I'm a child of God. How does a child of God, a believer, handle temptation? This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. You really have to get it. And, and it's also important that we're spending time on this because typically, like I said before, the church has not handled temptation well. Okay, what we've tried to do is shame you out of temptation, right? And we covered this before. Is it a sin to be tempted? Okay, so it's not. It's not. In fact, we've seen Jesus himself was tempted, yet without sin. And yet the church, because it's one of those ooh issues, you know, kind of messy, kind of, kind of not pleasant, kind of like um, very uncomfortable. Right? What we try to do is we just try to... Vinny's been tempted, guys. Vinny's been tempted. So what does the church do? We either try to shame you. Dude, come on, what's wrong with you? You're tempted? Oh, come on, man. What kind of Christian are you, dude? Come on, bro. So we try to, we try to shame or guilt you out of even being tempted. Right? And, and, and you know, woe to you if you even succumbed. Oh. You know, sorry, Vinny, the tribe voted. You're out. Right? So how do we deal with... The church hasn't really dealt with testing and temptation well. It's guilt, it's shame, it's, 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 ooh, it's messy. How could you, even though I got the same thing, but how could you? Right? You're in a small group, some dude shares what's going on, you're like, well, 
glad that guy shared because I'm just going to listen to what they say to him because I got the exact same thing. But I ain't saying anything. Are you cray-cray? I'm glad he shared. What, where is that? The church hasn't handled this very well. Right? And so we have to camp here because we have to understand what is going on in our heart and our mind when we're tested and, temptation, and, and tempted that ultimately can cause us to choose to act independently of God. What is going on? Let's not be afraid to go there. Amen? Because the truth be known, what's going on in your heart and what's going on in your mind is exactly what's going on in the heart and mind of the person sitting next to you. So you might as well turn to that person and smile and say, you too? Go ahead, because we're just really good at the church, right? We, we, it's Sunday. Everything's good and fine. Everything's good and fine. No, we all struggle with it until we go home, until Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. And this is why we need each other. So, so Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for, for from it flow the springs of life. It's a heart issue. Okay, Romans 6.4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If, you, if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, you might want to underline or circle walk and newness. All right? Walk is lifestyle, how you live, right? Your conduct, daily conduct, lifestyle. Newness. This is radically important for those who, whether you've been a believer for a day or for 50 years. Are you learning, do you desire to walk in newness of life, or are you just trying to be a good moral person? See, a lot of people think to be a Christian, you just got to be good moral. There's a lot of good moral people in this valley right now who aren't even believers. They serve, they're in civic organizations, they donate time, money, and effort. There's a lot of good moral people. If you're a believer, you are called to be godly and holy not just moral and good. This verse says we are to walk in newness of life. Newness, right? So here's the radical thing. I've shared this with you before. That word newness means new in quality. Never existed before. When you put your faith in Jesus, you became a new creation. Amen? What that means is who you now are has never existed before. What we try to do in our faith following Jesus is clean up the old person. How many of you like to watch those house renovation shows, right? Where they take this old dilapidated thing and they try to clean it all up and like, oh, reveal, move that bus, move it, right? That whole thing. What the Bible says when you're new is that qualitatively you are different. But a lot of us just try to fix the old plumbing and the... Let's just put a frame, cover the hole in the wall, right? And you're busy trying to fix up your old self instead of learning what your new self is about. Amen? The journey with Jesus is a journey into newness. It's like a car model, right? There's like these cars, and every year they come out with the the latest F-150. But sometimes that you go to a car show, there's the prototype, the one that has never been before. And then they go, hey, this is the first year that this new prototype is being produced. You're the new prototype. You're not the latest F-150 or Silverado. Right? Did I get that? Okay, for you Chevy lovers. Okay, so Silverado. Dodge, Dodge people, right? 
Oh, ooh. Ford? Okay, Ford, thank you. Dodgers and Ford, just like that, right? Okay, so you as a believer in Christ are to learn to walk in newness. Everyone say newness. Newness of life. So question, when it comes to testing and temptation, have you simply been trying to do it in the old way? Resolution. Good intentions. Right? What's your old way of dealing with temptation and testing? And have you been actually, biblically, trying to learn what it is to walk in newness of life? Newness of life. New quality. And you know what it means? New source of power. Amen? The Bible says you are the temple of who? Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Okay, one amen here and a bit of murmuring over here. <laughs> it is amazing. See, okay, I'm going to reframe this. Let me start again. I'm going to rewind the tape. I'm rewinding the tape. As a believer, you are a new creation. As a new creation, you are now indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. Okay, do you know how to drive that car? No, you don't, because you're still like, get out, Holy Spirit. I'm still going to drive the last year's model. Y'all have the Holy Spirit in you. Do you, are you driving the new model with the supernatural power, the latest Tesla Plus, or whatever you call it? Do you know how to drive this new, never-existed machine called you that has supernatural power, the Holy Spirit, to help you overcome and be victorious in temptation? Amen? That's the thing. How many ever have been in a new car and they're driving and you're like, hey, what's that button do? Anyone? You're like, hey, this is kind of cool. Do you even know the buttons that God's given you? Or are you just like, I don't know. I don't even know how to start the thing. How many of you are like, there's no button, there's no key anymore? It's like, how do you start this thing? Where do you put the key? Bro, it knows the key's in your pocket. Just push the button. Really? That's awesome. How many of us are still trying to drive this new model that we've been given the old way? And God's like, what are you doing, man? Why are you getting 87 unleaded? You got the Holy Spirit. Go to that pump. Go to that pump. Oh, but this is the way I always used to deal with it. And this, <laughs> Come on. You're a new creation. Romans 6, 4 says we are to walk in newness of life. Amen? You know what that means? Like, right now. I'm not even talking at the end of the sermon. Right now, you can choose. You can choose. Oscar, you can choose right now to push the start button on your new vehicle called you. It's just a choice you make. And then the joy is, as you're going down the road and driving this thing, you're like, hey, God, what does this button do? Hey, God, what does this do? Hey, what does this do? That's the joy. But a lot of us are kind of like just, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I got my old cruiser. Got my old Impala. I'm just going to cruise. I don't need that newfangled stuff. I'm good. I'm good. Come on, man. God's given you a new life, empowered by his Holy Spirit, so that you can experience victory. That's what he wants for you, right? So we're going to look at this. 
Some of this, a lot of this we looked at, I kind of, as I was praying, I, I think I reframed it a little bit. It's in your notes. Big slide here, don't get, it, don't get scared, right? Eight biblical responses to temptation. Relationship with Abba. We talked about that. You're now in the fam. You're in. You relate to him as Abba, Papa, Daddy, right? There's verses there, right? Resources. We talked about this a lot. What has Abba given you? What has Father given you? Well, he's given you, the Bible says, Second Peter 1.3, he's given you everything you need. Romans 6.6, 6, we're no longer a slave to sin. Galatians 5.16 says, if we walk by the Spirit, you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's all there. We've talked about this. I encourage you, you've got to go back and you've got to put these verses in your heart, right? Last week we said responsibility for my actions. Okay, here's the deal. You and I cannot blame shift if we blow it. Because we just saw that we're no longer a slave to sin. Amen? So if we choose to sin, which is now a choice, you can't blame shift. You can't, you can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do anything. The devil didn't make me do anything. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I can say no. Now that no might have some uncomfortable ramifications and people might not like me, but I can, there's, the Bible says there's always a way out. There's always a way out. So we, we can't blame shift. We have to take responsibility, right? Matthew 26, I love this one. Jesus in the garden says, He came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Watch. We, the word picture for watch was a night guard. It's not daytime guard. It's someone at night who can't see very well. You've got to be diligent. Jesus says, watch and pray. Okay, so you can't even be passive about this. So you've got to understand who you are in Christ. You've got to understand the resources, right? It's your responsibility to do what you need to do, what I need to do, right? And then we talked about this. The next one on that list was relief from self-condemnation. So Jesus was tempted. Apostle Paul was tested with the thorn, right? King David. King David in Acts, he's described as a man after God's own heart. King David, remember Bathsheba? He was tested and fell, right? God forgave him. Job. Job, right? Look at what it says about Job. Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's a legit dude. And yet, look what God allowed in his life. You see, why, why am I going over this? Because we've got to break the stigma that if you're simply tested or tempted, you're a bad Christian. That's a trap that the enemy has many in the church already in. And you're so scared to tell someone of how you're being tested, not even that you gave in. You're just scared to tell somebody that you're tested to turn on the Internet. You're tested and you're tempted to cheat. You're, whatever it might be, you're just so scared to even say it to someone that the enemy already has you isolated. You're already isolated. So if you think now, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, King David, Job, and ultimately Adam and Eve. Pretty good company, right? 
if they were all tempted and tested, I think we've got to get over ourselves. Because that is what the enemy wants. Wants you to suffer in isolation. Oh, I can't share that with the brothers. What are they going to, what if they, what are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about you? Oh, he's just like one of us. It's probably what they're going to think about you. Probably going to have one of those, oh, you too moments. Or, dude, I dealt with that too. But the devil has us so scared, so stigmatized about even being tempted and tested that we live in isolation. We're just so shamed. You've got to get over that. You've got to get over that, right? Even Adam and Eve, they had the perfect hookup. <laughs> Environment, pure, and God allowed them to be tested. So, you know, whatever you're going through in your life, just want to encourage you. Find someone you trust, find someone you genuinely believe wants God's best for you, and begin to just share what's going on. You might just find some freedom in it. Now, you're going to probably be scared to death, and your heart's going to be beaten. And after you, after you say it, and you go, Bleh! you're probably going to be like, oh, do they still want to be my friend? Oh, do they, you know, where do I stand in their eyes now? And you might just experience God's grace through them. You just might experience God's grace. When they're not even going to try to fix it, they're not going to try to lecture you, they're not even going to throw a verse. You know what they might just do? They might just do this. It's all good, bro. That's all, you, that's all they might do. That's all they might do. Just like that. Because that's all you need. That's all you need. That's all I need. I remember when I, I was a young Christian, church in San Diego, somehow got connected with these older believers in the Lord, and, and one of them was a banker. So he was professional, pretty solid guy in our Sunday school class, and I remember, man, it got to the point where, where God put us together and, and I just started sharing stuff in my life and he just very, said very little. He just said very little. And one day, uh, it was in class, they did an altar call or something, prayer time or something happened in, in our class. And, and he went up front as a prayer person. I think I was like 25 or something like that. And grew up independent, didn't anyone, didn't share my life with anyone. And God broke me, and I went up there, and I just, I just put my head like right, there, but he was taller than me, so my head was on his chest. And I just did this, and I just lost it. I just lost it. And all I did was this. That's all I needed, because I grew up with such fear of of imperfections giving me the boot out of my family, out of my peer group, off my team. You know, this fear of don't mess it up or you're out. You know, this perfectionist thing. This perfectionist got to meet the standard. And so driven that even as a believer, I was doing everything I could to prove that I belonged on the team, on the Christian team. And God's like, nope, 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 nope. Just come clean, man. And experience this guy's grace, God's grace through Dan. His name was Dan. 
Actually, no, it's Bob. His name is Bob. <laughs> it's been so long. He didn't even say anything. But I learned God's grace through him. I learned God's grace that it was okay to be human in one context. It wasn't an excuse for sin. It's not a license to sin. It's never a license to sin. But what it is, it's freedom to be human. It's freedom to not have all the answers. It's freedom, honestly, to say, dude, I blew it big time. I blew it big time. In fact, I had a, uh, an experience this week, early in the week. You know, I shared with you how when I'm about to teach something, oftentimes God says, well, why don't you go through it first? I'm like, thanks, Lord. So this, earth, this week, Monday or Tuesday, I had one of these like, ah. And it's like one of those moments where like you think you have all your defenses all lined up, all the scripture, all the, and you got your life all just like, as a believer, right? You line it all up. Oh, I'm, I'm ready. Bring it. Bring it, devil. Bring it, world, right? And early in the week, this situation happened, and it snowballed, and extreme emotion, the both ends, anger, anxiety, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I was just reeling. And in this reeling moment, I made some really dumb decisions. And all those grand plans and all the charts and all the just went completely to the side. And I reverted back to old me. In a second, I reverted back to old me. Just do it. And I just reacted and I responded and I made a choice. And when it was all done, I was like this. I was in my, my, my office chair in my, in my room. I was like, what just happened? What just happened? And I remember I, I, I was just sitting there, and, and I was trying to calm down, and, 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 and I'm like, but Lord, you know, all this stuff, you know, I got paper, stuff written, I got, I got the plan on paper, I, I read your Bible, I do this, 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 but in the heat of this moment, all these circumstances just lined up just so, and all the emotion just so, that it pushed me, pushed me, pushed me, and I made this choice to just act independently of God and try to fix it. And guess what happened when I tried to fix it? I made it worse. I made it worse. And I sat there, and, you know, God bless my wife because she comes home later in the afternoon. She always says, how was your day? And I'm like, I had to go for a drive. I had to go for a drive. Well, what happened? Well, you know, duh, 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 and this. And I reacted, and I, I just made this choice because I just reacted. I just reacted, and I flushed out, and, and, and I was so overcome in the moment, duh, 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 and I just chose. And, it, and I now... For the rest of the day, I was just floored. I was just like, what did you do? And, and she knows. It wasn't like a horrible thing. It was just a momentary choice I made. And it humbled me. It humbled me like, dude. And you know what she says? For your benefit, she says, this is going to make you a better pastor. I'm like, <laughs> And it was, and, and she's actually true. Because believe me, God keeps me real about this big. And why does it make me a better pastor? For all of you. Because I'm not going to wag the finger, and I'm not going to pull a holier than thou on you. Because this is past Monday, God showed me, dude, in a second, in a second, given the right circumstances and the right emotion, you're just as susceptible as this guy, anyone on a Sunday. So it does make me a better pastor. 
And I just I, I thank her for that because it reminds me as I'm beating myself up and wanting to blame shift in every which way I can, right, Cody? Like the oil. It's the oil. Oh, Lord. Duh, 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 duh. No, it was just me. It was just me. Monday, it was just me. Me, myself, and I. Bad choice. Circumstances, emotion. Pop, me, just me. And so we have to just, we just got to stay here. Because I had to go back to square one and go, okay, that list up there, that list of eight, right? You know how pastors make these really cool things, right? I put that up, right? Isn't that really cool? Like, it looks really cool. It's all ours. Did anyone catch that? Right? No, the, the one at the beginning, the eight, eight ways to, right? Isn't that pretty cool? Right? Eight biblical R's. And they all start with R. Isn't that what we do? That's pretty cool, right? Everyone go, ooh, make me feel better. Because that took a while. That took a while. Right? It's really cool. Like, hey, eight biblical responses. R, 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 R. Okay. That came out of this, but I'm going to tell you right now. In the heat of what just happened to me this week, that didn't mean anything. I just plowed right through all of those and had a complete meltdown. I just went, <laughs> But it looks really cool on a Sunday. Looks really cool. And I'm just I'm sharing this with you so so you understand I get it. And that doesn't make that any less valid. It just means I need I have to be very careful that I just don't cliche that stuff. I just don't cliche that. And I just don't like, hey dude, that's really cool. Hey, relationship with Abba, that's really cool. Except for when you're heat of the battle and all you think about is how this is hurting you and affecting you. All of that goes out of the window because I, com- because I become so focused on how this is impacting me. And I want relief for me, right? What are we wired? We're, we're wired as humans to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. That's kind of where we're at. That's why temptation and testing is such a powerful thing. Because when you're in the middle of something and you're trying to figure out how to respond biblically, you're also trying to weed through pain and pleasure, Right? What you really want, immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. That's what's going on when you're being tempted and tested. Those are the buttons the devil's pressing in you and in me. And if you're not careful, you can plow through a list, a really cool R list, if you just start looking at you. And there's probably, you know, I should probably put down here remorse and regret. Should you happen to plow through these, welcome to remorse and regret. One of those. How many of you have ever had one of those what was I thinking moments? Right? That's what I'm talking about. So, so this is why I, God's like, just stay here. Just help us all as a church to get more comfortable looking under the hood. Looking under the hood of what's going on in your life and my life when we are tempted, when we are tested. Because if you understand what's going on, you can apply biblical truth to that real issue. Amen? Once you understand what's going on, what's the knocking in the engine, then you can apply biblical truth to the real issue versus bad Christian. Bad Christian for being tempted. Bad Christian. Well, let's look under the hood. No, keep the hood down. You're just a bad Christian. We don't look under the hood here. Oh, okay. Let's just keep driving. Sunday, every Sunday, we just show up. We don't look under the hood here. The hard part is to look under the hood. But when you do, you find freedom in God's truth. Amen?
He begins to sanctify and transform the real issues in my life and in your life. Because as I recovered from that whole mess, I said, Lord, what happened? And he started to show me. This is what happened. You just went back to old Richie. You got so riled up. You got so... You just got caught up. This happened, this happened. And what it did is it triggered you to go back to the old self. And I went back to the old self. And I learned from it. But I had to go under the hood. I had to go. I had to really say, Lord, show me what's going on, right? And so we got to be able to willing, willing to go there. And then, and we're just going to kind of touch base on this, and then we're going to close. We have to recognize the enemy's strategy, right? I think it's still, Ali, is that still up there? Right, recognize the enemy's strategy. So Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. We're just going to start today. Next week we're going to really look at his strategy. Because here's the thing. The same strategy that the devil used in the garden He's using on you and me right now as you sit here. Nothing has changed. It's the exact same strategy. And if you think right now that you can outsmart the devil and you're never going to fall, you've already been outsmarted and you've already been deceived. You've already fallen into that trap. Right? Second Corinthians 11.3 says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning... Your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Deceived means to beguile, lead astray by persuasion, seduce, to cause someone to believe or accept false ideas in order to lead them astray or into error, right? It says that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Shrewd, sly, cunning. That's the enemy we face. And so right off the bat, right away, he wants to throw some pride and self-righteousness into my mind and your mind. Ah, it never happened to me. Ah, I ain't going to fall for that. If I was in the garden. Anyone ever read a story in the Bible like, if I was there, what was Peter thinking? What was old Pete thinking? How could he deny Jesus? Uh, you got to be real careful if you start throwing stones at the people in the Bible. Because all it takes is a few right buttons to be pressed in your life, a few emotions to be released, a few thought patterns, and you're right there. You're right there. When I was in college, I was at UCLA, and then I would come home to San Diego and get a job. And one of my summer jobs, I worked at this uh, Asian fast food place. I think it was called Rice King. And they had this uh, drive through so I was there closing shift, and uh, right before we closed, this drive through car comes through. It's only me and the cook, so I'm doing both, trying to do the chairs, clean up stuff. The drive through thing goes off, da-da-da-da-da, 
And I race over there, try to get this order filled because we're closing and I'm right. I got to get out of there. Right. And the next day, the owner goes, hey, we're 20 bucks short in the till. I'm like, what? And I rewind the tape in my head. And I'm like, oh, I got it. I got I got worked. The drive, the car that just happened to come through at the end of the day needed change. And if you're not familiar with the old drive-through, I need change for a 20, oh, forget it, give me my money back routine, um, I got scammed. I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I was distracted. I was busy. There's a scam. They go through drive-through and they give, they ask for change for a 20 and then they work you out and pretty much you end up handing them a $20 bill and you had no clue. You just got took for 20. I think about that story all the time when it comes to tempting and testing. I, I was humble. I was like, are you serious? And then, you know, I'm like, I just got took. I just got scammed. And that's what the enemy will do. They'll come in and they'll be real slick and they'll be real sly. Hey, hey, like I told you before, the devil's not coming with you with big scary pitchfork and ah! Because it's going to scare you right to Jesus. No, it's going to be real, real innocent. Real, real kind of, and we'll start with this strategy, right? In Genesis 3, right? It says, he said to the woman, Genesis 3, 1, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God, that's not a scary statement, right? What's scary about that? Did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It wasn't meant to be scary. But what it was meant to do was to plant seeds of doubt in her mind about God's character. Because here's, it wasn't so much a question as an accusatory statement. The question veiled a very powerful statement when he says, Did God say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What's the accusation? How could a good God keep you from eating any tree? Really? You see, it's so exaggerated, but he's planting negative thoughts about God in Eve's mind. But it's real slick. It's an accusation. Here's the, let, me, let me explain. Someone comes to you and say, hey, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Is that a question or is that an accusation? It's an accusation. Veiled is a question. You get it? That's what's happening here. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? Let's, put the, let's make it a statement. God is not loving. That God you believe in is not loving. That's the statement. That's what's being said. It's not a real question. It's not a real question. Because God doesn't send anyone to hell. In fact, the Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? It says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes, right? There is not one person in hell who's going to be going, gosh, you know, I really wanted to believe in Jesus, but God wouldn't let me. There is not one person in hell that wanted to believe in Jesus, and God said no. He did not send anyone to hell against their will. 
His will is for all to be saved. Amen? That's His will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God so loved the world. Right? But listen to the accusation in the question. How could a loving God send people to hell? It's a statement. It's not a question. So in this question, he says, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? How could a good God keep anything from you? I don't think he's really good, Eve, because he's keeping something from you. How could he do that? How could he do that? It's an accusation. And here's the thing for you and me. The devil wants you to doubt God's truth and love for you. He wants you to doubt God's character. So I want you to think of some area in your life right now where you're being tested or tempted. And if you looked under the hood, you'd say, whoa, I didn't realize I was actually having a struggle with God trusting, with trusting God right now. That's what's going on. Think of an area right now where you're being tested or tempted. Do you trust God in it? Do you implicitly trust God or is the devil in your head already saying, how could he allow this to happen? How could, how could a loving God, how could Abba let you go through this? Why doesn't Abba answer your prayer quicker? Abba must not really like you. You're not special to Abba. I'm just hearing, I'm just sharing with you things I hear. What'd you do to blow it? Huh? The devil's is the same thing. It's just wanting whatever you're being tested in, whatever you're being tempted in, go to the root of the issue. It's faith. Are you trusting Abba right now in this area? On Monday I didn't know that was a root. I didn't trust him, so I decided I was gonna fix it and I made it worse. It was a trust issue. I knew cognitively I knew I had the plan. My wife sees the plan on paper. Here's the plan. Just work the plan. Everyone says something good, right? Make the plan, work the plan. Make the plan, work the plan. That's all really good until the emotions and everything kick in. Right? I think about Tyler who was SWAT and another law enforcement here, and I said, Ty, why do you guys drill so much with SWAT when you're like, well, because you got to drill so much, so much, so much, so that when it's real, you do what you need to do. Right? You do what you need to do when it gets real, when it gets hot and heavy and the bullets are flying and there's real people. Well, the same thing, guys, in the church. We got to drill. We got to know those eight things. We got to know verses because when you leave here, it's, gonna, it, it's flying. And it might even be flying as you're sitting here because this is the last thing the enemy wants you to hear right now is that, oh, gosh, he's outing me. Because for all of us in this room, we are constantly bombarded with doubting God. Is he really good? Is that really the Bible? Is, is that really, is, is the Bible really God's word? Can I trust the Bible? Can I really trust it in this area? These areas I'm really good, but Lord, why am I struggling with finances and trusting you with my finances? It's a trust issue. It's a faith issue. And so very first strategy with a very innocent looking question the devil begins to plant seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. 
and he gets her talking. He gets her talking. Right? And what's really interesting is, uh, Eileen, can you put that up? It says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right? What's really interesting is he, he, he kind of manipulates her by how he refers to God. That word God there is Elohim. Elohim means creator, ruler. He's kind of God at a distance. He's all-powerful, but he's creator and ruler. Now, what's interesting, in Genesis 2, it says this. Actually, Genesis, let's look at Genesis 1.1. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Elohim. But in, verse, in Genesis 2 and 3, God is referred to something differently. Look at this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Here's the difference. The devil comes to Eve and says, Hey, did God, Creator, keep something from you? He didn't say Lord God. Lord God, go ahead, I only put up Lord God. Lord God is Yahweh or Jehovah Elohim. When the Bible says Lord in capitals, what is either Yahweh or Jehovah, that is a covenant word. That is a personal word. That is God in covenant with his people. It's a relational word. So the Bible says God Elohim created, but then when he talks about what he did for Adam and Eve, it's Elohim Yahweh. It's a personal covenant God. The devil comes to Eve and says, hey, did that Elohim God keep something from you? The distant God? He didn't use Yahweh Elohim. Question. In your relationship with God, is he God or is he Abba? It's the same issue. Is that distant God keeping things from you? Or is he Abba? Do you trust him like Abba? You see the difference? See how he already skewed her mind? Right? Remember that song years ago, God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a, from a distance. You know what that's called? Deism. There are deists. Deism, D-E-I-S-M, means I believe in God, but here's what a deist says. I believe in a God. He's, he created everything. He's put it in motion. He spun the world, and now he sits back at a distance, and he's just watching. But I believe in God. That's deism. New Covenant says, I'm a child of God. I call him Abba, and he is involved in my life. Amen. If you can hammer this home, that's the first bullet there. When you are tempted and tested, is it God at a distance or is it Abba that you're trusting? Is it God at a distance or is it Abba Father that is with you in the tempting and the trial? The devil wanted to, Eve to see it just as God Elohim, not Yahweh Elohim. You see the difference? So when you leave here, are you leaving with God or Abba? Abba. Makes all, thank you. It makes all the difference with trust. Because isn't God really busy? He must be really busy running the universe. 
He doesn't have time for little old me. I'm just a speck on this planet. I'm just taking up oxygen. That's God. I believe in God, but he's way over there. No, Abba. That's my Abba. That's my Father. Makes all the difference. Makes all the difference of who you're going to trust when you leave here, when you're tempted and tested, right? And then it says this. I love this verse in, in Matthew 6. Here's, a, here's an application. When he talks about, hey, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Look what he says in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly... Oh, come on. And your heavenly... Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. It's not, hey, and God. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. Don't miss the significance of the choice of words there. Your Father knows what you need, not some generic God who spun the universe and is sitting back watching it. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Right? The question is, do you trust Him? Because the devil wants to sow seeds of doubt. Doubt, doubt, doubt. And then when you doubt, you start to disregard. Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And it's that quick to disobeying because you've got to take charge. We're going to talk about this more next week. But I want you to really leave here going, okay, where is the devil tempting you not to trust Father? Father, Right? Eileen, let's close with the picture. I love this picture. I got to be in the courtroom and hear the official proceedings. And the judge said, Dylan now has all the rights of all your natural children, including inheritance. And they signed it. And I'm like, dude, that is so awesome. Dylan's in. He's in. You know what I mean? Like all the rights of the natural children, Dylan's in, right? And, and that's a picture of in. That's the fam. That's the fam. There's no separation between Nathan and Dylan. And I want you to know that for God. Because here's the radical thing. You see how happy they are? That's how God feels about you. Yes, you're in. And we are so happy. What does the Bible say? When one person repents, the angels go crazy. We had a lot of celebrating that day. It was like, yes, that's so awesome. That's you. That's me. The Bible says we become children of God. We're adopted as sons into God's family. Amen? Amen. We have all the rights. Even the inheritance. We're heirs of the king. We're in. God rejoices over you just like Ronell and Oscar are rejoicing over Dylan. God is rejoicing over you. You're in. You're in. And Oscar, I'm just asking you one question and we'll close. <laughs> I know your heart is that Dylan just really believes that he's in, right? Like, Dylan, it was settled. It was settled. Look at the picture. It was settled. You're in. You're my son. 
You're my son. I love you as much as Nathan. You're my son. Dylan, you're in. I'm your father. It's all good. Right? It's all good. Dylan, don't, I don't want you to get in your head. Don't ever think that, oh, you were adopted. You're in. You're my boy. Right? And that's what Father says to us. You're in. Why do you keep doubting yourself? Why do you keep thinking you're less than? You're in. You're in. And so when the devil comes at you this week, maybe even before you leave here, with temptings and testings, say, you can't trust him, you can't trust him, you can't trust him, I want you to remember that picture. And you say, no, devil, I'm in. I'm in. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted as a son. And I trust my Abba. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, reminding us today that we can trust you. We can trust you. And we don't always understand why you allow testings and why, Lord, uh, things go the way they do. But you're Abba. Your ways are higher than our ways. We're not always going to understand everything that happens. But we can choose to trust you. In the middle of it, we can choose to trust you. And so, Father, this morning, I just want to uh, pause and give us all just time to reflect on the temptings and testings that we're maybe experiencing right now as we sit here. And at the root, we are being tested and tempted to act independently of you. And at the root of that is trust, is faith. And it's so hard because we get scared, we get angry, we worry, we get anxious, we're insecure, we're angry, we're raging. And then we think bad thoughts. We accuse you, we accuse others, we blame shift. Man, we just go down the tank so fast, Father. So, Father, we confess this. And Father, would you remind each of us that you celebrate us as much as Oscar and Rennell celebrate Dylan. That those faces of joy and celebration are for us as your children. And that we can trust you. Forgive our lack of faith. Forgive our unbelief. Forgive those times, Father, where we've acted independently. And we just want to come back now and Reaffirm our faith. Reaffirm our trust. You are Abba. You are Father. You're not just some God out in this universe. You are Abba. So speak to our hearts, even through this song. And as we prepare for communion after the song, Lord, that this would be a time to, to reaffirm our trust in who we are in Christ. We are going to open up the communion tables and Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. If you're visiting, we uh, kind of come forward down the lines and there's cup and bread and you can take one of each and head back to your seats and just have a time of prayer, time of reflection, a time of remembering Abba's love for you as demonstrated on the cross and death of Jesus and
And maybe you're here visiting and you've never actually taken that first step to become part of the fam, a child of God. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. Put your faith in Jesus. Just rest fully in His finished work as your Savior and Lord. And you're adopted in. And you can take communion with us as well. So, so come on up. And when everyone's served, we'll take communion together.